Thanks for joining us for Episode 10 of Season 3 of Couples, Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. The first and third Wednesday of each month, we drop episodes with advice, tips, and real-world experience for partnering in business and life. I'm Jody, a business owner and communications strategist, and as you know, this is recorded, but if we ever do a Couples, Inc. live event, I want you to know we'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Right on. That's, yeah, that's from the tractor pulls. Tractor pulls Sunday, yeah. Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, if you're in jail, you better those. break out. You know, I went to one of those one time. I emceed actually the first part of it, just the intro and stuff like that. Well, did you do the whole hyped up? That's, you only need the edge. No, I didn't even, I couldn't even hear myself. Oh. So I don't know what I said. <laughs> I stuck around like an idiot waiting for people to, you know, clap or whatever. I'm Glenn, Jody's partner in life and business, and we recently ate at a restaurant that uses automated servers to bring food to customers' table. Now, when our food was ready, the robot came to our table from my blind side, and it caused me to almost jump out of my seat. That was very funny. Scary robot. Scary and funny. It bad was robot. Bad robot. Robots, they're taking over. Bad. Yeah, you got to be aware. got to be aware. On today's show, we talk about how age differences can affect couples in business and business owners. And we check in with our design expert, Katie Cooper-Bussell. And at the end of the show, Jody tests my space travel knowledge. Yep. Without further ado, let's get started with this episode of Couples Inc. For our topic today, um, we were thinking... I guess, you know, the other day we were like talking about that there is an age difference between us. Uh, I think it's about 12 years or it is 12 Actually, years. Actually, oh. I did the numbers on this. Oh. And uh, the source URL I'll give you in the in the show notes, it's the calculator, thecalculator.co, which calculates all kinds of esoteric figures. Okay. So you couldn't just go on the fact that, okay, we're 12 year difference. No, because we aren't. Oh, no. Strictly speaking. Okay. We are... <clears throat> 11.8333333333333333 years separated. And the three at the end of the eight repeats. Wow. Not forever. Oh. To infinity. Wait, isn't that same as forever? No. You should Google this. Uh, well, math now, is your friend. Now, now, well, now I will now have to do math face, like I talked about a few episodes ago, where I just scrunch my face up and look like I'm thinking, but I'm not really thinking because numbers freak me out. Calculate the tip on that. Would and you? calculate. Real oh my quick. god, I have to. I have to have silence everybody at the table to yeah. add the tip. So that was very specific. It is. But there is an age difference, and we started thinking. You know, I wonder if that's a factor for some people. For us, it's it's really not. We don't have any conflicts of. You know, oh, I wish you understood and had more experience. Or if I'm like, oh, I wish you weren't so much of a Luddite. Because you're not. You're very technical savvy. Technically savvy. So Luddite. I know. That's a, that is a weird word. It makes it. me think of Oompa Loompas for some reason. Luddites. But they anyway, might have been. They might have been. But it's like, we don't, we don't live up to any stereotype of like, you're a boomer. So that means you shy away from technology because no. you embrace it. Yeah. Or that I'm a Gen X slacker, which, again, I've always had a problem with that that description because we're not slackers I, you are the least slacker that i know I, <laughs> and there no may be some happening. there may be someone who's slacker than yeah, me very much so yeah so the, the stereotypes but we didn't really see much of a conflict for us but then we started wondering okay that's us as a partnership yeah. um we're a couple and obviously you know we have 
no issues with the age difference. We've managed that because right. it is just a number. But what if you have employees or what about your past experience? Have you had any issues where, you know, uh, be, working with someone who is, quote unquote, of a different generation yeah. has been, I don't know, a, maybe a challenge or something for you to kind of work around? I think the first time I experienced that, it was really a shock to me because I was working in radio and I was the production director at a group of stations. And these younger kids started coming in and staying younger on my kids. lawn. So, yeah, you're a curmudgeon from day one, yeah. though, babe. And, but here I am in my mid-30s, I guess. Mm-hmm. And these guys that are just out of college or still in college are coming in and interning or getting some of the jobs. And at first, it was really hard for me to adjust to the way that they looked at things. Mm-hmm. They were enthusiastic on one hand, as youth generally tends to be, but they also had a different viewpoint of work. When it was time to stop, it was time to stop. Mm-hmm. If they were in the middle of something, it didn't make any difference. They were gone. And I had trouble putting that into my perspective and making it make sense for me. Yeah. Um, particularly because sometimes when they stopped, it was something that I was responsible for <laughs> and I would have to pick it up. I think that taught me ultimately to own each of those tasks, whether or not I did assign them to somebody else. Mm-hmm. If they weren't done for whatever reason, the person decided to knock off at 4.30 and go have some beers. If their head blew up in the middle of the project and I had to clean up after that, anything in between, then I... I was responsible for that. Yeah, it is. That's as a business owner has really lent itself because exactly. even and as that was kind of like the the uh, training, crucible. I yeah, guess. yeah, training for, for you me. because even if you do um, delegate something, ultimately it's ultimately yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think part of that too. I was going to say it may like Gen X. That would be the generation you're talking about who came in after you. But honestly, I think everybody who's had someone young come in. Has had that same thought. Sure. Like they're not dedicated enough. Exactly. And it's just like the old joke uh, you think you can hurt my feelings? You're wrong. I used to hold the flashlight for my dad. Oh my gosh. That's (laughs) a perfect encapsulation right there of the the generation gap and the difference between people who have experience and people who are just coming into the workforce. And there's going to be there, yeah, there is like an impatience. Like, how do you not know how to do this already if you're the older generation? I have the same thing. There's, um, uh, I work with a, 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 I guess she's Gen Z. So Gen Z, she doesn't check email nearly as much as I think she should because mm-hmm. that's just not her generation's communication uh, no. tool. But it's so funny. I'll say, well, I, I sent the email. She goes, oh, it must have gotten lost in, in email. Like it's a jungle. They may communicate via, you know, TikTok note or whatever is going on at the moment. Right. And email is something that's, you know way off in the distance and soon to become obsolete. Yeah, I know. And that is that is the thing. It's like, at what point in your generation or at your age are you like, huh, am I stuck? And I'll be honest, too, when I was young coming into it, I was like, I doubted they knew what they were talking about because I oh, yeah. there's like, along with your yeah. energy, you got a little bit of ego, a lot of ego when you're young. And... You're like, could teach them a thing or two and could, you know, totally, you know, explain things to them better. But it is very interesting how you got to have to, as a business owner, stop and put that aside and, you know, and not get so caught up in stereotypes of generations Mm -hmm. or judging generations. And some might surprise you. One of our clients was talking about hiring and 
they were very impressed with some Gen Z they've hired as far as their work ethic. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, the young generation always slacks, but that's was, you know, it's like, wow, surprising how hard they work. I did a little bit of research online and I found out that there are two layers of baby boomers. Oh. I didn't realize this before. That makes sense, though. Yeah, I guess it does, because that's such a large group. Mm -hmm. It started at the end of World War II and then went into the mid-60s. So the first group is called Boomer One, and that covers from 1946 to 1954. So are you Boomer Two? I'm No, I'm not number two. <laughs> I am what they call a Jones Boomer. We were born between 1954 and 1965. And the Jones label comes from keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Because you're technically a boomer, but I never consider you a boomer. I know. And that makes sense that you would be like the second layer of the Joneses. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I think this is just as a sidebar, going back to the age difference in the workplace when mm -hmm. I was first experiencing sort of the culture shock and the generation shift. I think that ultimately working with younger people also helped me a great deal in uh, working the, the work style and the outlook that I had on work. Oh. It made me feel younger. Oh, it energized I see that. Yeah. me after a while. And I think there's no substitute for that, just like there's no substitute for experience. We had a really good team, I think. Well, I think part of it is because you are a natural born teacher. I really think you do a great job. And I think having young people around you that you can help guide it, it sort of it kind of fuels you a little bit i think is that why i wore a tweed jacket 24 7 with the little patches yeah with the patches on the shoulders well, of course i mean it, after a while my skin started to turn into tweed skin <laughs> so there's a fast company article that we did some research on mm -hmm. and um, it has actually three categories or three baked in traits of the boomers that are in the Jones boomer generation. Oh, okay. I'll read them to you, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong about Should it. Should I say yay or nay if they apply, apply to you? Yeah, yay or nay <laughs> if they apply to me. You better say yay on all of them. Okay. Responsible. Yay. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of something that I was taught from the so only person. when you were holding the flashlight. Yes. <laughs> exactly. The one responsible for the light to carrying the torch is me. Okay. Cooperative. Yay. Yeah, you're, you're right to yeah. be hesitating in your voice because that's negotiable for me mm -hmm. in that if I see a big plan and I think it makes sense, that's no problem. I'm all in. But if I think that I have a different idea that might be an improvement on that, um, I become kind of difficult to work with. Well, I wouldn't say you're, you're difficult. I think part I of... I can be. I can well, rank it up. I'm not challenging okay. you. <laughs> Just want to make sure. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I, yeah, you better. Um, no, I think sometimes this goes back to you're busy doing, and so you don't always have time to communicate. Right. And, and that's yeah. and cooperation yeah. is all about communication. And sometimes I could see how it's like it's faster just to go ahead and do that yeah. and get it done. And, well, we don't have like a big team, so you don't have to worry about a lot of cooperation. But I could see how maybe in the past your – I'm getting my job done. I need to get this done. Focus. I don't have time to collaborate, cooperate um, when it when it doesn't seem necessary. But when it comes to yeah, an idea that you love, like you love when we brainstorm together. Sure. So that's a cooperation or I guess I'm saying collaboration and cooperation are kind of the same. That's where you really are energized because mm -hmm. it makes sense to you. Okay. 
the dedicated is the last trait. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've been very fortunate in that I've always loved what I've done since I started my career. Yeah, I think that's, that is a, a huge factor for being dedicated. But I do have to ask, on this list of attributes, mm-hmm. were there some negatives? And did you, like a horoscope, look at it and say, oh, that is so me, that is so me. Oh, that's not true. And just kind of slide away the, the negatives? Of course not, because you're a Jones. I'm a Jones boomer. You're a Jones boomer. We're responsible. Boomer. You're respons- we're cooperative and dedicated. <laughs> In our interview segment, we talked with our design guru, Katie Cooper Bussell, about expanding and extending your business brand. Katie, we've talked in the past about how um, a brand is so much more than just your logo. I know that's a great start. Having a good quality logo is sort of the foundation of uh, you know, your brand identity. But now that you've got your brand identity and your logo, like say your business cards, et cetera, what's the next thing a small business owner needs to think about in terms of uh, getting the most out of their uh, brand identity? Yeah, um, I, I like to approach branding with clients sometimes in phases. And so a lot of times, yeah, the, the logo and your business materials can be maybe phase one. Phase two could be your website. And then phase three can be some of the extra things that we're going to talk about today. So um, that can start off with social media. And I know that's kind of like a big scary things sometimes to talk about for people. But um, one of the next things to think about with using your your brand is converting that into how your what your online presence is going to look like. So when you say social media, I, a lot of people will pull memes or video clips that are already, you know, in existence, and then just kind of add it to their page. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. It can be funny. Mm-hmm. It could kind of, as long as it kind of works with the tone and attitude and personality of your brand. But a lot of times, you know, people might forget the importance of making sure their images they post on social media fit with the colors and as much as possible fonts. Tell us a bit more about how someone can take their brand into the social world and still be relevant to what's funny and happening with social, but very close to their brand. Yeah, that's a great question because it your social media presence is a direct reflection of your brand just as much as anything else is. And so one kind of fun thing you can do is work with your designer on creating frames and social media posts. Maybe just start off with a dozen or so that can be branded with your colors. It can be frames, um, different, different ways to, you know, display quotes and those kind of things. And you can use those in your social media feed. And let's just say, for example, you're getting started just now with Instagram. Um, It would be nice to have your Instagram feed have at least, let's say, nine or 12 of those squares, those branded squares show up on your feed. And it looks so tailored and so nice, um, direct reflection of your brand. So that's one step into, you know, when, when let's just say consumer or customer, anybody is, is looking for you online, trying to find you, and they see you on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and they're scrolling through your page, and they see how well put together everything is, again, just another way to use that branding 
to other areas, you know, out in the world. Well, the other important thing, too, is I see this mistake a lot is when you are looking at your profile picture or something else, it's not sized correctly or it's it's right. not the right um, type of file. And that could be very important to look at, like, say, your Instagram page. Like you said, the aesthetic of it is to have make sure your profile looks good. If you have highlights that they all maybe have, there's an icon in there that mm-hmm. looks good. Um, but also just remembering that an art director or graphic designer that you bring in can help size things accordingly. Yeah, I correctly, think that's because you, it, sometimes a yeah. profile pic can... If you try to use it across a different range of apps, it will look like you put it on the stretchomatic. Yes, yeah, and the, I swear every designer is cringing right now because we know what you're talking about. Anything that looks stretched is just a no-no. And stretchomatic is not a sponsor. No, right. they're not. I'll reach out to. Them. Yeah, there you go, Katie. Let's talk a little bit now about merchandise. You're you're. Uh, kind of adept I think at uh, adding e-commerce and, and you've yeah. certainly you've you've helped uh, a, a lot of companies do that uh, can we go into that just a little bit how you can some of the ways that you can make that happen sure yeah that's it is such a fun way right now to expand on your brand because even if you are not a retail company there are ways to incorporate merchandise within your website or just within your business and one kind of fun thing right now is there's there's a few there's a lot more accessibility to print on demand options out there. And so if you are not wanting to invest into any kind of inventory or don't have the space to house any inventory, you can use these these print on demand such as websites such as uh, Printful or Spod, things like that. Um, basically what you do is you upload your artwork to different types of products and then if somebody places that order from your site, those products are printed right there on demand and shipped to the customer. And what a great way, you know, to to get a branded, you know, mug or, or T-shirt or hat or whatever out there to the consumer. Can you, you know, say those easy. companies again, just so we can, and we might, we'll, sure. we'll include a link in our show notes as well. Sure. The company's names are Printful and Spod. Okay. I think that is, yeah. that is great. Like you said, it does kind of save... Um, time money you don't have to have the inventory of like a, you mm-hmm. know a bunch of mugs or whatever on your um in your business or pay for someone else to store it yeah or you don't have to worry about shipping and all of that and it's you know it's done for you um another thing too to think about is if you do want to invest in a little bit of merchandise there are local boutiques or pop-up shop opportunities where you could you know, have your product or as a fun extra, like this is, I'm talking about something that is, you know, to the a side sort of deal with your business that you could, you know, set up with a local boutique or something that would, um, that would generate, you know, additional income for you. Also a little bit of marketing for your business as well. You can shop you a, local. Yeah. I can you it. give us an example mm-hmm. of how someone could partner with another brand, like with a pop-up or using their merchandise that way? Sure. I mean, let's say that you you are a uh, blogger or somebody who is has a large social media presence, and let's say you blog about food or cooking or baking. You could you could partner up with a local boutique, like let's say a cooking store, and have you know some kind of product of yours that this store sells that. You know, probably a lot of 
people recognize from, you know, your strong social media presence. And it's just a fun way for you to have sort of a branded product in a local boutique, which would be kind of fun. Okay, fun. So you could basically absolutely, yeah, leverage your merchandise, but maybe have it um, sold in some place, another local supporting local. Yeah. And those are really creative ways to really get out there and cross promote, like you said, and you can get very outside of the box. And it's not something that you have to do all throughout the year. Like you said, it could be holiday related or, you know, um, special event related, or if there's a big, you know, sort of local event in your town, um, it could be just specially for that. So a fun way to sort of do something extra that, like I said, you know, gets your name out there a little bit more. Mm. It would help generate a little bit more business. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about mm. expanding with photography. Uh, you have taken lots of professional pictures because you are a photographer. Um, this is something that I don't think, I think it flies under the radar quite a few times, especially when it comes to expanding your brand and bringing the photography and the assets that you want to present to your clients and your prospects uh, to the fore. Yeah, it d most certainly does. And photography can also be kind of a little bit of a scary thing for people too, because I think they see the price tag first and foremost. And yes, photography is not cheap, but it is, you get what you pay for when it comes to photography. And it makes a huge difference to have very professional, nice looking and creative photography out there to use for your business. And you could have, um, you could work with a photographer to really even curate, um, you know, collections. Let's say you are a retail store or you have certain things that you, that you are selling or that you want to promote even, um, throughout the year, you can sort of create, create these curated styles or looks or bunches, I guess, of photography and images and sort of pepper them out throughout the year. So it gives you sort of like a marketing plan to put these things out there, but then also just have this stock of images that you can use, let's say on your website, on your social media. It gives you, cause I know a lot of times we're trying to say, what, what um, information am I going to put out on social media? What, what am I going to, what sort of news am I going to try and create? Well, a photographer, a nice photograph would be, something that you always have in your pocket, you know, to put out there and, and just, and that speaks for itself a lot of the time. And sometimes and, with photography, yeah. you can create a certain style of photograph that can be associated with your brand. So it's not just yeah. having your particular products all photographed, but it could be the way you do it, the backdrop you include, or yes. the color or tones, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. The lighting style, um, how you arrange them, if it's, you know, straight overhead or if it's soft and, you know, dreamy or whatever it is. Yeah, kind of creating this look and this style that that kind of marries up with your brand to use. Um, and to sort of segue to is also headshots or headshots of you and or your employees and having professional headshots done is definitely a direct representation of your brand. I know a lot of people don't like the idea of having their face out there, but it is important. People love to see the face to the name. People the do brand. business with people. 
Yeah. Not buildings. And is, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it makes a difference when you have a professional headshot versus an iPhone photo, which can be nice and those can be great. But if you have the right lighting and you use the right settings, all of that, but it is worth it to get some professional headshots done. Now, we've talked quite a bit. We mentioned this several times in various topics about social media, like whether it's the graphics or photography you can use in social media. But as the um, saying goes, don't like promote everything on rented property. This is not mm -hmm. your owned property. So with social media, there is no guarantee that everyone's going to see it because mm -hmm. of the algorithms, because you haven't put money into it. And so there, there is always this idea that at first, oh, yeah, we'll put it on social media. And then as it started getting to where it's harder and harder to see, find people, yeah. the answer is to use some of your owned channels, which could include a newsletter, like an e-blast or something like that, which I really love because you own that mailing list and you mm -hmm. own that um, – uh, that creative. And so you can t entirely uh, control when it goes into the person's e uh, inbox, but you also have to make sure that it is something they want, interesting, and is branded. Talk a little bit about how people who have a small business can use the newsletter or, you know, the e-blast as a branding tool. Well, sure. First and foremost, um, your designer can create, you know, a branded newsletter template for you to use each month. Um, you can set up just one simple look as the same consistent every time, or you can set up a couple different ones depending on what the messaging is for that particular newsletter. But either way, um, your most website platforms offer a way to integrate a sign-up for a newsletter, which would mean that's how you would absorb the emails from the consumer. But then also if you do have e-commerce or anything like that on your site, you're also absorbing emails that way as well. And eventually you can have, you know, this certain amount of emails and feel comfortable about sending out your newsletter. And it is, like you said, just a direct way to reach people rather than, just guessing if somebody's going to see it or not on social media. And this is just a more of a direct relationship to have with your clients. And I, you know, I have a few uh, subscriptions to emails that I look forward to every month because they, it seems like they do it just right. It's not flooding my inbox and um, it's, but it's the content that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, so there is a, you know, kind of a right and wrong way to do it, I guess, but that's a whole other conversation, but it's a great tool to use to communicate with your audience and increase whatever it is you want to increase sales, viewership, you know, relationships. We've talked quite mm -hmm. a bit now about, uh, throughout this whole interview about the virtual part of your business. Mm -hmm. Let's touch on your physical the, the old school storefront, the actual where you live type of space. Yeah. So your branding can definitely transition into the physical world. Absolutely. So, you know, this means if you own a storefront or a restaurant or a, um, a firm, whatever it is, your branding can, can transition into the physical aspects of your, of your space, um, be it, you know, getting new outdoor signs created, um, freshening up your paint on the inside, doing a pop color. That's the same color as your brand, as your logo, um, you know, getting your furniture or fixtures updated. And it doesn't have to be a huge investment. Sometimes, um, it can just be a few little refreshers, 
but I, I personally, personally feel like these sort of impressions create those perceptions that exist in each, each person's view of your brand. So like, the more that you can do to incorporate this, you know, professional, consistent, solid, and like unique representation of your business, the more you're going to be perceived that way as a business. And it's a, it's a, to me, a fun way to, to sort of circle around, um, with the whole idea of your brand, because Jody, you had talked about at the very beginning of this thing, it is not just a logo, right? And I know we keep saying that, but you know, I feel like that's something to just keep reminding people of is that all this work that you put in in the beginning to create this look and this feel for your brand truly does extend into so many aspects of your business, of your world. And that's, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing to think about. Katie, as always, great insights and very nice talking to you. Uh, thanks for taking some time, and we'll uh, visit with you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was fun. It's time for Let's Have Some Fun. Once again, here are your hosts, Jody and Glenn. Thanks, Tom. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah. We've heard a lot about space travel. Usually, like... It's been all over the place yeah. these days. I mean, not that it ever ever goes away. Like, it always, there was, feels like there's always some kind of new announcement. But yeah. it just feels like We're it's... We're always littering up some planet with our excess <laughs> junk. Yes. But it does feel like very much, you know, on everybody's brain right oh, now. Oh, yeah. So I thought, you know, you are a resident space nerd. Alien. Maybe. Robot. Yes. And you would probably ace these trivia questions. Okay. So I've come up with some. I looked all over the interwebs, and I found different sources. So there's not one quiz, but I pulled different things. I thought, mm, some might challenge you. Some might be easy. I've got about, I've got five questions here. Okay. Is the moon landing fake? The first answer is no, it was not. <laughs> Anything that's happening now might be fake, because the deep fake is... Well, yeah, you know, the deep fake is all about it. And it's deep space. So right. Deep so space fake. I uh, did not ask that question because we're going to go on the assumption that it did. And you didn't have three years to spend going down that hole. And Got I didn't it. have time to go down that. Okay, go so on. question number one, this should be easy. Mm-hmm. What does NASA stand for? I can give you multiple choice if you'd like. No, you, you don't have to on that one. It's the National Aeronautic and Space Administration. You are correct. Although option D was the Naughty Alien Spotting Association. Oh, why don't we go with the... the <laughs> I got that from BBC. Multiple choice. The BBC put that out? The BBC was like asking, how much do you know about the moon landing? And one of the questions or was about yeah. it was about what NASA stood for. And I was like, Naughty Alien Spotting Association. Talk about fake news. Or maybe alien sighting. Okay, bonus question. What year was it founded? Uh, NASA was founded in the year of our moon, 1950. That's a trick question. No, that's your close. Because there was an agency before NASA that changed one word in there. It was N-A-C-A in but the you're, beginning. But you're, you're in the right decade, so... Yeah, 1950. 1958. Oh, well, I was going to say 57. Ah, well, all right. That was a bonus, so we don't count that. 1958. Yeah, October it's 1st. That old. Yeah. Okay. This is multiple choice, and let me finish these. 
Who was the first person in space? A. John Glenn. B. Neil Armstrong. C. Yurik Gagarin. D. Captain Kirk. First in real life or first in fiction? That's that's the qualifier. Well, even first in fiction, it's a trick. Captain, it is a trick because Captain, Captain Pike. Kirk was not the first. Captain Pike wasn't the first either. There were people, don't you remember? They had the guy that discovered oh, yeah, the warp yeah. drive and all of that. Oh, yeah. And I think they followed the parallel what timeline in Star Trek for our real life until they get to. Right, that is true. You know. That is true. Yes. Cause so we, the moon landing and the you know space shuttle and all of that kind of stuff takes place right. in their timeline. But they're just a little farther advanced. Yeah. Um, I remember the guy from Babe played the guy in the movie who was the... The first uh, man in space? No. The, yeah, the warp drive. Oh. Cochran. Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, what was his, it, that's his character's name. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway. Are we Trekkie nerds? Cochran? Maybe. <laughs> yes. So who was the first person? Uh, the answer is C. Yuri Gagarin. Gagarin. Oh, yeah, that's I've heard it both ways. Okay, but here's a bonus. What happened on his return flight? Uh, he came back. Crash landing as planned. He ejected from his ship, the Vostok 1, yeah. and drifted to safety on his parachute while the reentry module crash landed. Wow. So what about was, the people in the house it landed on? Were they okay? We don't talk about them. Number, wait, are you, so you, you've got, you've two for two. What about the people in the house he landed on with his parachute? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Did they adopt him? Maybe. Oh, you're so cute, comrade. <laughs> All right. So, number three. What was the name of the ship that landed on the moon? A, Columbia. B, Falcon. C, Eagle. D, the SS Minnow. The one that landed on the moon? Mm-hmm. The there Columbia were three parts of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. There were three parts? There were three parts that went on the moon mission. Um, the command... A part for every guy that was on the mission. Sure. Uh, command module, where they lived and worked. A service module, which contained the food, oxygen, water tanks. And then the, the luxury lander, suite. And the luxury suite. The lander. And then the, then the bar. The uh, What is it? The Acapulco Lounge, like from Love Boat? Yes. Um, the lander, which detached... From the others to get to the moon service. So, so you're saying the love boat landed on the moon first? Yes. So I've lost all control of this uh, <laughs> this quiz. Okay. You have. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. It would so, be the the answer is is uh, the eagle. Yes. Hence the eagle has landed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so far three for three. Okay. Now this one might trip you up a bit. What did the astronauts of Apollo 11 say moon dust smelled like? Apparently, moon soil is extremely clingy and hard to brush off. So when Armstrong and Aldrin returned to the lunar module and repressurized, lunar dirt had clung to their suit and entered the cabin and began began to emit an odor. Now, they reported it smelled like A, nothing, B, like the air after a fireworks show, C, moss, or D, teen spirit. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I would say teen spirit, but these guys are a little older than that, and then the generation gap comes in. in the That's play. true. They were they were the greatest generation. Yes, the one that put the biggest gap between them and the other generations. Two hundred and forty thousand yes. miles. <laughs> yes. Ooh, that I was going to ask that question. Yeah. I'm glad I did. Well, you already doing so great on this anyway, but that was one of the questions. Oh, but man. yeah, you would have gotten it. This one's tough. I've heard that space itself smells like burnt steak. I don't know how they determine that because you. You open the the space suit and smell space. That's the last thing you're going to smell. <laughs> yes. And, um, I'm going to say that it smelled like moss. No, like the air after a fireworks show. Actually, scientists would never get the chance to investigate just what the crew was smelling because while the moon's soil and rock samples were sent to labs in sealed containers, once they were opened back on Earth, the smell was gone. But apparently the astronauts had described it as it smelled like burned uh, fireplace ash, like wet burned ash, or like the air after a fireworks show. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I get that is kind of, I mean, that's very specific, the air after a fireworks show, because I've never really stopped and said, huh. That's a smell. Like, you know, like vanilla, chocolate chip cookies, like... Fireworks show. Fireworks show, like, you know, fresh cut grass. But I'm like, I wouldn't know what a fireworks show air smelled like. But I thought burned smell of, like, wet fireplace might be too easy for you. So I went with the fireworks show. Ha yeah. ha! So I gotcha. Wow. Okay, here's did. the last question. You're already ahead of the game, oh, but... I don't know. I'm not undefeated. That's... That's This is true. null and void. I protest already. <laughs> okay. Which rover landed on Mars's surface on August 6, 2012? The Beagle. Red rover, red rover, send the Beagle on over. <laughs> no. A, Curiosity. B, Spirit. C, Challenge. D, V'ger. <laughs> V'ger. <laughs> Could I have more Star Trek? Well, I, the only thing I didn't put in here was that, what's that quiz that, or that test that no one can, can compete? The Marriott... Uh, Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi Maru. I was going to try to throw that in there somewhere, but I couldn't figure out a way to make that one of the answers. There's another badge point for us. I know. We're such mm. Trekkies. Or tr I'm sorry, truckers. I think people like to call themselves. Mm. Okay, so the rover that landed on Mars, was it the Curiosity, the Spirit, the Challenger, or again, V'ger? This is in 2012 you're talking mm -hmm. about? So that would be the second one that we've set up there and landed. Yes. I think the first one was Curiosity. You are correct. It landed so it in twenty eleven. Um, spirit, am I right? No, I got the curiosity. Huh? Wait, I don't know the answer. You've rigged this. <gasps> I cut and paste. Cheat. And the Curiosity rover launched November twenty sixth, two thousand eleven, and landed at oh, and landed on Mars on August sixth, twenty twelve. So it is a Curiosity. I got to read for comprehension oh. here. So I didn't get that. You did not get that. Well, I thought that... What was the first one? Curiosity. No. Spe oh, I don't know. Thought back in the 90s, they had one. I know, they did. It, um, it's forgotten now. It is forgotten. You forgot You're it. the space... Space yeah, man. space nut, but my nut went out on that one. Sorry. Yeah, that's... Well... We still have Star Trek and the Kobe... This is this has become your Kobayashi. We'll always have the Kobayashi Maru. Thanks for listening to Couples Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. We drop new episodes the first and third Wednesday of each month, but to make sure you don't miss a show, follow us wherever fine podcasts are published. And if you enjoyed this episode, 
and you want to support the podcast, share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating or review. And please visit our website, couplesincpodcast.com. That's couplesincpodcast.com to learn more about us, review show notes, or leave us a message. Until next time. Thank you.